Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. In the Pew Bible, this is found on page 1163. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 3. We're in the midst of a series of studies in the book of Philippians, one of my favorite parts of God's word. And uh, this series that I have entitled, To Know Christ and to Make Him Known. Today we're going to talk about knowing Christ and what that means. So I'll begin with that question. What does it mean to know Jesus? One way we might answer that question is by asking, what is it to know a person? We talked about that with the kids. What does it require? What does it look like to know a person? Maybe your best friend. What does it mean to know your best friend really well? Or your brother or sister, your mom or dad, your child, your spouse. I read about a couple that I think is just a sweet, sweet story. Wilbur and Teresa Face. Look at their picture. They're up here. Wilbur and Teresa Face recently won the award for having the longest running marriage in America. On April 14th, a couple of weeks ago, they celebrated their 79th wedding anniversary. Can you imagine? (laughs) Married almost 80 years. 
There's a, um, an updated picture of them. Wilbur is 100 years old and Teresa is 96. Married faithfully since April 14, 1933 was when they wed. They met at a roller skating rink in Centralia, Illinois. When they saw each other, Wilbur said to a reporter that it was love at first sight. They have three children, six grandchildren, five great-grandchildren, and four great-great-grandchildren. <laughs> Wilbur was asked by this reporter to give his secret. You know, how in the world, after almost 80 years knowing each other that well, how could they maintain that kind of love and relationship? And he said, here's my secret. Don't smoke or drink. Surprise her with gifts. And be the first one to say, I'm sorry, dear. You were right. <laughs> Very good advice for all of us, I'm sure. But really, what would it be like to know another human being for 80 years? Well, I'd like to talk with you this morning about knowing the most amazing person in the universe, Jesus Christ, whom you will, if you are a Christian, know for the rest of your life and on and on and on into eternity. I want to answer three questions. Very, very simple plan this morning. What does it mean to know Christ? Why is it important? And how is it done? Okay, so what, why, and how will be our plan this morning. First of all, what does it mean to know Christ? Paul, in this passage that you heard a moment ago, talks about knowing Jesus. And for him, it meant everything. It meant everything. Verse 10 of this text could well be translated, my one aim in life is to know Christ. He says, this is the driving force of my life, to know Jesus. This is what I care about more than anything else in the world. That's a sort of a paraphrase of verse 10. When Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ, he means at least six things. Let me tell you what. What strikes me about Paul's ambition to know Christ and what it should mean to us. First of all, to know Christ means to know him savingly. Now that's sort of bottom line. That's bedrock right there. To know Christ means to know him savingly. Let me explain. Look at verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish. Now, if you're here last week, we talked about this passage. That's why I'm not going to belabor the whole, the whole text today. But that word rubbish could well be translated as manure or dung or trash or refuse. Paul is saying, I consider everything as refuse besides knowing Christ Gaining Christ and being found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Do you notice that little phrase? It's in here twice. In Him and then in Christ. In other words, to know Christ savingly means that you have come to the place in your life that we talked about last week, where you have turned away from the sinking Titanic you know, trying to save yourself by your own good works, trying to reach up to heaven by being a good person or a certain kind of person. You've turned away from that. That's called repentance. 
and you have embraced Christ by faith, the faith that Paul talks about there, so that God has now included you in Christ. You are, to use a very churchy word, saved or redeemed or, better word, rescued. So to know Christ means that you know him savingly like Paul did, like Christians do. Secondly, to know Christ means to know him personally. To know him personally. Notice in verse 8, two very, very important words. Verse 8 says, he talks about knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm struck that Paul didn't say knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is the Lord, but Paul says, he's my Lord. I know him personally. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that he is your redeemer, your rescuer? Not just the savior, but your savior. That's what it is to know Christ personally, to have personal appropriation of Christ, personal communion with Christ. Third, to know Christ means to know him intellectually. To know him intellectually. I want to deal with this one because I've really been burdened about this in recent days. The intellect is an important part of the Christian life. You remember what they used to say? Uh, some advertisement said that uh, the mind is a what terrible thing to waste. Well, I would say that the Christian mind is a terrible thing to waste. The way some people talk about Christianity in our culture today, you would think that if you're a Christian, you're supposed to check your brain at the door. That it doesn't matter that we be thinkers, that we be readers, that we be students of God's Word and of theology. It does matter. So many of the kinds of Christian preachers we are exposed to on TV and so many of the books that we read by Christians are intellectually vacuous, empty. They offer no real strong meat. And so we're weak Christians sometimes in the church today. Sometimes you also hear people say this, and I know what they mean. And and look, I've even said it myself. I've said it from the pulpit. I'm going to give you a, a caveat about it in a moment. But some people say that it doesn't matter that you know about God. It matters that you just know God. Have you ever heard that? You know, it's not important to know about God. You need to know God. Okay, I get what they mean. But look, let's apply that to human beings. Um, I met my wife the first day of our college career. 1972, we went to the same campus up in South Carolina, and we met each other the very first day. And I was immediately taken by her. I really was. I'd never met anyone like her. And the first thing I noticed was all the external things. And you know what I'm talking about, guys. But uh, I'll just mention a few. I noticed her eyes. They were so brown, so deep brown. I noticed her hair, how it would really curl up in the humidity. I noticed her smile and her laughter was infectious. And I noticed a few other things too, but um, I wanted to know about her. I wanted to know all about her, where she went to high school, where she was from, what she liked to do in her spare time. I was filing all this data away, you know, so that I could... Roll it out one day when we perhaps took our first date together. And then gradually I fell in love with this person about whom I knew some facts. In the same way, 
You'll never know God unless you know about God. You'll never know Him until you know the facts that are true about Him. That's why you must find out about His attributes. That's why we did that attributes of God study earlier this year. It's why it's important to know God's character traits, what His likes and dislikes are, His hates and His loves, what God desires who He is, what He's like, and so on. You must ask questions about God. You must ask questions of God. Questions are good. If you guys, anyone here today is a skeptic and you're dealing with struggles or questions about the Christian faith, that's good. You should address those questions and take them seriously and hunt for answers wherever you can find those answers. I remember my early days of being a Christian. I was discipled by someone who really believed in the importance of the Christian mind. And he exposed me to lots of books. He told me about these guys called the Puritans. I knew about Puritans from history books, but not really anything important about them personally. And so he handed me books and I read them. And one of the first books I put my hands on was by Thomas Watson called Body of Divinity. Some of you possibly have read that. It's not easy reading, but I devoured it. I was so hungry for this newfound faith that God had given to me. I bought a notebook and I had that notebook next to my Body of Divinity. And I wrote a concise summary of every chapter in Watson's book because I was so hungry. I wanted to know. And this began to shape me and I've totally value the importance of reading good uh, good books and i'm going to have more to say that about that in a little bit but what i mean by by this right here in short is that you've got to be a theologian to know god theology is what the study of god and so it's important that you know god and love god with your mind know him intellectually number four what does to know christ mean it means to know him experientially And now, see, here's my caveat to what I said earlier. This is why people say it's not enough to know about God. You must know God. Because it is vitally important that we know Him experientially, existentially. That is, in our daily walk. When Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ, he goes on to say, I want to know the power of of his resurrection. See, Paul is talking there about, I want to experience in my walk the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. I want his power to live in me so that I die more and more to sin and I live more and more to righteous, holy living. That's what I mean by knowing Jesus experientially. It's got to have a transforming power upon our lives. To be genuine, authentic knowledge. Okay, number five, it means to know him intimately. And this is what much of our music was designed to do today, to draw us intimately to Jesus. And I want to use a different word, emotionally. Because I think some of us have a mental block about the role of emotions in our Christianity. Jonathan Edwards, one of my theological heroes, talked about how important The religious affections are. That's his word for our emotions. He said basically a religion that doesn't have affection or emotion in it is not genuine. And so we must grow emotionally to know Jesus Christ. In our reading earlier today, Jack read from Psalm 63. And this is what this demonstrates where the psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do you hear the psalmist feeling for God there? Thirsting for God. And knowing Christ needs to bring tears to our eyes, friends. Knowing Christ needs to bring laughter and smile to our face. Knowing Christ needs to bring goosebumps to our body and thrills and as well as grief and heartache. All of those emotions are involved in our walk with God. The word know, we're talking about knowing. In the Bible, the word know has this rich thought, not just of head knowledge, but of setting love upon someone, right? The Hebrew concept of to know was to love, to set love upon someone. And so when we speak of knowing Christ, we want to set our love upon him, our religious affections and our emotions. And finally, in this list of things, to know Christ means to know him increasingly. Yes, Jesus calls us to a life of knowing him better and better and better as time goes on. Think about something. When Paul wrote this letter that we're looking at, the letter to the Philippian church, he was somewhere around 60 years of age. Paul had come into the Christian faith about 25 years previous to this. He was roughly 34, 35, scholars believe. And so for 25 years, Paul had followed after Jesus. He'd been on three missionary journeys. And now, if you remember our study of Philippians, he was in prison, right? He was in prison in Rome when he was writing the Philippians. So you would think that some people might come up to Paul and say, Paul, take a break already. Come on, you have served God well and faithfully. You've done enough. You've suffered enough. Paul is just all downhill from here. Paul would not have been satisfied with that mentality because here in our text he says, no, I want to know Christ. 60 years old, 25 years walking with Christ through the ups and downs of missionary life and yet he still wants to know Jesus better. That's why I say, Jesus invites us to an increasing uh, knowledge of himself. Take this away with you that knowing Christ is a relentless, lifelong pursuit. I don't care how old you are today. Youngster, oldster, we're all in the same boat. We're all following after Christ to know him better tomorrow than we know him today. That's not idealistic, pie-in-the-sky thinking. That's realism, and that's what Jesus invites us to do. Hosea 6, the prophet Hosea says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And uh, Peter in his little book, the second letter of Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's meant to be a growing experience. Don't be satisfied with this level. Press on to know the Lord. All right. Now the second question we're going to answer today, why? Why is this Important. Why does this matter? Why did it matter to Paul, the apostle? Why should it matter to you and to me? And I want to mention four reasons. Four reasons why it's so important that we know Christ. First reason is because this is what you and I were created for. Do you know that you were created? Every human being was created. To know Jesus Christ. It was St. Augustine who said, and you've probably heard this, 
He said famously, you, speaking to God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You, Lord, have made us for yourself, made us for a relationship with you. Nothing less than that will satisfy the human heart. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Jesus Christ. You see, deep in the heart of every single man and woman, boy and girl, there is a longing, an awareness that there's a God out there someplace. Some of you that I'm speaking to remember in the time of your life before you came to know Christ. Now, a lot of you, maybe you can't remember a time when you didn't love Jesus. But others of you, including me, I had a conversion experience. Maybe you did as well. Somewhere in in life, you turned from sin, like I said earlier, and embraced Jesus. Maybe it was gradual. Maybe it was overnight or, or what have you. It doesn't matter. But some of you in the room remember the days before you knew Jesus Christ as your Lord. Yet you still had, down deep somewhere in your heart of hearts, a knowledge that there is a God. You had a longing. You might not have called it religion or Christianity or anything related to God, but you had a longing for something meaningful, something significant, something that would satisfy the ache, the loneliness, the lonely, empty spot in your heart. And that person, of course, is Christ who could do that. You felt God in your conscience when you disobeyed God, when you did wrong. You knew it. That too was part of your longing for God, your knowledge of God. You might have heard other people talk about God. You might have heard a preacher somewhere along the way. You might have picked up a Bible and read a little bit of it, perhaps a little piece of Christian literature or something like that. Anyway, there was a longing down in your soul for something real, something that would make things right someday. Am I right? See, every human being has that. Because every human being was made for God. Ecclesiastes, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, it says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And that's just another way of saying that we have this empty hole that is empty until God fills it with the person of His Son, Jesus. A person may try to avoid that longing. A person may try to replace that longing with all kinds of pleasures and experiences and intellect and business and money and so on and so forth, but try as he may, try as she may, they cannot quell that inner knowing. G.K. Chesterton talked about that one time. He said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. What a brilliant way to say what I'm saying. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God because He was created for God. You, she, everyone was created for God. So that's why it's important to know Christ. You will always be on this empty search for meaning until you find Christ. Secondly, why is it important to know Christ? Because knowing Christ is the only thing in life that ultimately will satisfy that longing. The prophet Jeremiah talked about this one time. He said, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. And this is God speaking. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. See, God is saying there, you got riches? Great, just don't make that what you trust in. 
Are you wise? Wonderful. But don't boast in that. Are you strong? Wonderful. Are you a macho guy? Athletic and so on? Great. That's a gift from God. But it's not the ultimate answer in life. It's not a God with a capital G. No, it's knowing Christ that makes you wise. It's knowing Christ that makes you strong. It's knowing Christ that gives you the true riches that don't go away. See, to, to know Christ is to finally come to that place in life where you know who you are and whose you are. Jesus gives you this gift of rest where you can finally... Have you... I hope all of you have experienced that. You finally just sort of realize that you can relax in life because Jesus has taken your sins and put you in himself so that God looks upon you and sees you as righteous in Christ. What rest that is. That's the ultimate, and it comes from knowing Christ. Number three, why is it important to know Christ? It's important because the better you know Christ, the more prepared you are for hard times. The better you know Christ, the more prepared and ready you are for the hard times that are going to come, and they will surely come. I want to take you back into the Old Testament to Job. Remember Job? Many of you, I'm sure, know the story of Job. Think about what happened to Job. His estate was taken away from him. His home was destroyed. His livelihood was taken away from Job. His health was destroyed. And worst of all, his ten kids. What was it? Seven boys, three girls, or vice versa, I forget. Ten kids were all killed. Job was left devastated. His wife came to Job and said, Curse God and die. Enough with religion. Why, you know, turn away from God. Turn your back on Him. Look what He did to you. And do you know what Job's reply was later on in the book? Job says, No. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, He's going to stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed... Yet in my flesh I will see God. Yes, I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns, says Job, within me. See, Job is hes evidencing there that he knows Christ, his Redeemer. I know despite this hell that I'm experiencing, I know that my Messiah lives And He will one day conquer death. He will make all things right. He will bring things back to the way they should be. And that's my hope. It came because He knew the Redeemer. And listen, He was living hundreds of years before the Redeemer actually was born in Bethlehem. You and I live now in the shadow of the tree. We can look back at Christ. And so the more you know Him, the better prepared you will be. Not if, but when. And some of you are there now. Some of you are there in that valley now. Know Christ. Know Him as your Redeemer who will make all things right. And then finally, why is it important to know Christ? Well, it goes without saying that it's important to know Him because knowing Christ is what prepares you for that ultimate day. It prepares you for eternity to stand before God on judgment day. John chapter 17, Jesus says this. He says, this is life eternal, that they may know you, speaking to his Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, speaking of himself, whom you have sent. 
So with this knowledge, it's what you were made for. It's what will ultimately satisfy that need, that ache in your heart. It will prepare you for the the adversities of life and it will prepare you for eternity. So the question remains then, how can you know Christ in an increasing way, right? That's the... That's the practical part of this. I want you to take away with you today some things that will help you to, if you're not on this road of knowing Christ, that you'll get back on it and press forward to know Christ better. How can you know Christ in an increasing way? Here's some takeaways. First of all, I want you to take an inventory of your life. Now, I know that could sound way overwhelming. I don't mean that. I simply mean... To go back to that list I gave you earlier today, the six things that it means to know Christ, I'd like you to, I'd, I'd like to challenge you to take those six things, find a quiet place sometime this week, and look at them and ask yourself, you know, am I growing in my knowledge of Christ? I mean, that's really a simple question. It probably is a yes or no answer. Am I growing in my knowledge of Christ? What about, you know, what about savingly? Am I in the faith, first of all? Do I know Jesus? And if so, am I growing personally and intellectually and experientially and emotionally and increasingly? Take a list of the, take a look at those six things and ask yourself which ones are strong and which ones are weak? And ask God to, to help you to grow in those ways. So first take an inventory and secondly, do some repenting. Now, you know what repentance is. We talk about that here. Repentance means that you're going to leave that sinking Titanic that we talked about last week. It's not going to help you. You need God's grace. So, you know, turn away from self-effort and turn toward God. That's what repentance is. And ask Him for the grace that will help you to change. And repentance involves admitting the truth. This can be the most liberating thing ever. Admit the truth to yourself. Admit it to God. And look, admit it to somebody else whom you love maybe even your life group, and say to them, you know, I need your prayers because I, I heard this message on Sunday and I want to know Christ better and I'm stuck. You know, I, I'm stuck and it's because of blah, 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 whatever. So just do some repenting. Thirdly, pray and ask God to help you to know Christ better. And I've got the most wonderful Bible verse to give you that you can pray so you don't even have to be creative if you would turn back to the left a little bit to Ephesians 1.17, and I suggest making this your prayer. If you've been moved today to know Christ better, make this your prayer. Ephesians 1.17, Paul is praying for the Ephesians, and he says, I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Isn't that a great prayer? It's just exactly what we're talking about. Change the pronouns and say this, Lord, I keep asking you, the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know Christ better. God would be delighted to answer that prayer. Number four, fourth takeaway. This is the place where you're probably thinking, okay, Mike's going to tell me to read my Bible more. You're right. (laughs) 
Look, this is really not rocket science. God has given us His Word as a revelation of who He is. So yes, I'm going to ask you to read your Bible more. Can I tell you what I do? And I'm I'm sharing this only so that you see how doable this is. This is how the Bible plays a role in my life. Okay? Here's what I do. I have a Kindle. And I have loaded in my Kindle a one-year NIV Bible. Every day it says, this is what you read, Mike. I read that. It takes all of seven, eight minutes. Then on my Kindle, I've got a devotional book called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Two pages. I read those two pages. It takes another three minutes. I'm done in 15 minutes, easy. Reading the Bible does not have to be onerous, burdensome. What I'm saying is find something that works for you. Something that you can do with regularity that's not a pain. Something you can celebrate. And let the Bible be your ticket to know Christ better. Number five takeaway. I'm going to ask you to read something else more challenging that will feed you theologically. Men and women, boys and girls, we need to be readers. We need to be theologians. I said that earlier, and I told you I was going to elaborate on that a little bit more. I'm going to ask you to challenge your mind a little bit more. Deepen your awareness of Christ, who He is, what He's done. There are so many good books that we could be reading. And if you need some guidance, I'm going to make you an offer. If you will email me, I'll send you a list of ten essential books that ought to be read by every Christian and ought to be in your library if possible or on your Kindle or wherever. Ten essential books. I know there are many, many more, but I'll make you a list of ten. If you need some guidance on what to read, email me. My email address is on a business card out in the foyer, and I'd love to do that. Several people in the early service have already emailed me. I I saw it on my phone. Um, I know a woman in our church who has four kids and who got stung by the bee of theology and she's looking at websites and running down links and a whole new world has opened up to her. It'll do that for you. When you begin to love God's word more and want to hear what other people have said about it, it'll open up frontiers, I promise you. So read something theologically challenging. Number six, takeaway number six, refuse Jesus substitutes. Refuse Jesus substitutes. There are so many holding out their hands to us that are distracting us from a knowledge of Christ. Paul gave us a list of his Jesus substitutes in this text. You heard them read a little bit ago. It's in verses 4 through 6. He talks about how he used to take pride in being circumcised on the eighth day, being of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, etc. Those are Jesus' substitutes for Paul. What are they for you? Because Paul goes on to say, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, Paul had to suffer the loss of some things in order to gain Christ. What did he lose? Probably the esteem of his fellow Pharisees, the prestige of his Jewish community, 
Maybe the respect of his family, possibly his home. He lost those things, but he gained something of far greater worth. A relationship with Christ, who I said earlier, is the most amazing person in the universe. I heard a story one time that illustrates this. Um, A a father walked into his kitchen to find his little three-year-old daughter clutching a knife by the blade. Fortunately, she hadn't squeezed the knife. It wasn't cutting her. But the father knew that if he walked over to the little girl and pulled on the knife, it would only make her hold on to it and slice her hand wide open. See, it's almost impossible to just take away an idol. Something better has to be offered in its place. And so what the father did quickly thinking, he saw the daughter's doll lying on the kitchen table. He grabbed the doll and brought it up to the little girl and held it out to her and she gladly let go of the knife to clutch something of far greater value. Jesus Christ says about your escape mechanisms, about your coping strategies when you're worried, anxious, depressed and so on. We all have those, don't we? We figure out ways to lessen the pain to escape anxiety and worry. And those things are not Jesus many times. So Jesus wants to be your prize. He wants to be your doll. And He comes up to us and He says, let go of that escape mechanism. Let go of that addiction. Let go of that thing you keep turning to to find relief and solace from your pain and loneliness. Jesus is inviting you to clutch Him So refuse those substitutes. They're cheap. They don't work. Jesus is the one you're looking for. And then finally, I want to say quickly, if you will take this list of things away with you today, I want you you to add one more. Do hard things. You will find that if you will choose to do some hard things, Maybe have that hard conversation with somebody. Maybe go talk to that person about Jesus. Maybe go on a mission trip. Maybe get on a budget. (laughs) Maybe uh, start doing some of the other things I talked about, like reading your Bible with greater regularity and things like that. When you do hard things, you will find that Jesus shows up. And you will know Him better. Look at verse 10. Because here's what I mean by this. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. I purposely wanted to wait until now to drop that last phrase in. At first it jars us. Wait a minute, Paul. I want to know Christ. Okay, thumbs up. I want to know the power of His resurrection. Okay, that sounds good too. I want to know the fellowship, the participation of sharing in Christ's sufferings. Yes, see, when you suffer with Christ, you get to know Him better. Those of you who've been on mission trips, don't you know those people better when you get back home? Jack and I and the other guys in the house in Mexico, we know each other pretty well because of the Mexico mission trip a couple years ago. When you suffer, you know people well. When you suffer, you get to know Jesus well. So please do hard things. Choose hard things. Choose the the road less traveled. Choose to go up the hill. Choose to fight the good fight. And you'll find Jesus 
will come to your aid. By God's grace, UPC, make it our supreme purpose in life to know Christ and to know him better day by day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise and thank you today that you have come to us. You took the initiative to, to, to come to our aid. Lord, you didn't wait until we jumped up to you, but you came to us to our rescue. Lord, you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And yet you love us and invite us to a knowing relationship with you. Father, forgive us that we give up so easily. We choose the easy path. We choose the undisciplined path. We choose a very superficial knowledge of you instead of digging and striving and fighting and working and suffering. Father, we repent of that attitude. Lord, you're worth everything to us. You are the pearl of great price for which we should sell everything we have and pursue you. Lord, would you send us your spirit? We need his help to have this relentless pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.